All right. Well, I am glad to have the opportunity to open the scriptures again with you. And we are going to work our way uh, into 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're continuing our study, which is going to go on all summer long, uh, going through 2 Corinthians. But I, I want to talk a minute first about a bunch of really weird people I saw on the news and on Facebook and everything a few weeks back. Did you see the pictures of the lines of people waiting for their turn to go to the summit of Mount Everest. What in the world is wrong with people? I don't understand why you would do that at all, let alone stand in line dying. People are like falling over dead, waiting in line so they can say they got to top Mount Everest. Now I know if you're a mountain climber and if you're an outdoorsy kind of person, maybe that's like the thrill of victory, right? I don't know. Um, what keeps them going? That's what I want to know. What in the world keeps people like that going? What, besides the oxygen tanks they're carrying, I mean, what, what drives it? There's got to be something that drives them to keep on going when people like me would have quit at base camp. In fact, we'd never gotten to base camp. We'd have been down, you know, where there's a nice fireplace at the lodge or something. Uh, it, it, what, there's got to be something that drives a person right, that keeps them going for the long haul. I have no idea what that is. I'm not going to try and explain it because I don't get it. But there are people that love it. What I want to know is how do we keep going when it gets difficult in our Christian life, in our walk with God, especially in our service for God? And I'm not just talking about people who do this for a living, I'm not just talking about people who have a, uh, a, some kind of official role and position. I'm talking about all of us who serve with any sense of diligence and commitment to the things of God. How do we keep going when it gets tough? How do we keep from losing heart? Have you been around people who, who had done something for a long time and they just, they just lost heart? You could just tell. There was something in them that was... Their, their shoulders drooped a little lower. They slumped a little when they walked. They, there just was not an excitement in their tone like there had been previously. Paul uses the phrase in 2 Corinthians 4 two times. He says, we do not lose heart. If anybody had an excuse to lose heart, it was probably Paul. He endured more as a servant of Christ than probably most anybody. There are lots of people through history who have struggled and had hardship and difficulty. I don't, I don't mean to minimize their pain, but Paul, and we'll see a little bit of uh, some of the things that he faced, endured incredible things in his service for Christ. How do you not lose heart when it gets like that? And more importantly, what drives us to serve? What drives us who are not facing all of the hardship that he is? What drives us when we get tired? What drives us when there are difficulties in life that are uh, slowing us down? What drives us when the experiences of life make focusing on our service for Christ more difficult? What keeps us going? I think there are a couple of things here in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians that help us. Our, our, the first thing I want to think about is 
the importance of keeping our focus on preaching the gospel. We sang a song a little bit ago. I was so happy to, to sing about the, the person of Jesus and who he was and what he accomplished and that everything we're doing is about that. We're focusing on preaching the gospel. But I want you to notice something in the first couple of verses that helps us with our focus, all right? Verse 1, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Little, uh, little uh, uh, Bible study practice here. I probably have said this before. If not, shame on me because it's been long enough. When you see at the beginning of a verse a therefore, what are you supposed to do? Find out what it's there for. It almost always, almost invariably refers back to something else. And what Paul had talked about in chapter 3 is what uh, Wilson talked about last week, this, this ministry of the new covenant, this new opportunity we have to tell people it's no longer by living up to the letter of the law, but it's by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that you get to have hope and you get to have freedom and you get to have a new and soft heart. This ministry, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. That word, the mercy of God, is an Old Testament word that Paul has borrowed and used here in the New Testament. And it it has to do with God's what is called, translated a couple of ways, loving kindness or steadfast love in the Old Testament. It's the word that refers to God's covenant loyalty. It's the word that refers to God's mercy. One writer has said, God's loyalty to his covenant and his unchanging character of mercy is mankind's only hope. We get a little discouraged. I was reading an article the other day about how the, the kind of the center focus of Christianity and the growth of Christianity has shifted geographically in the world throughout history and started, of course, in, in Asia Minor and has moved to various places, was in, uh, in uh, England, Western Europe for a while, and for a long time, at least Americans, and many people have viewed it as being in America. God has used the, the wealth and the prosperity and the commitment of American Christians to spread the gospel to all parts of the world, and now some people get discouraged. They see what appears to be a bit of decline in American Christianity, and if we get discouraged, all we got to do is lift up our eyes a little bit and look at the rest of the world. Look at what God's doing in South America. Look what God's doing in Africa. There are some incredible things taking place because God is faithful to his promise. God's faithful to his covenant. And because he is faithful, he lets us get to be ministers of the gospel. We need to keep our focus on the ministry of the gospel. And Paul said, we don't tamper with it. There are a lot of ways you can tamper with the gospel or with God's word. I think we can tamper with it by trying to make it intellectually respectable. I'm not opposed to intellect. I'm not opposed to advanced education. I think those are all great things. But when we try to make it intellectually acceptable when some of it is simply a faith issue, in fact, at foundation, it's all a faith issue, right? I think we're tampering 
with the Word of God, or just making it more acceptable or what we think will be more acceptable. Listen, I'm all about casual. You know that. We're all we're casual and we're comfortable here at Coastal and we love our music and we have fun and all of those kind of things and we, we have a lot of fun at our own expense, right? Uh, I, people have fun poking fun at me. I, got some, I have some appointed individuals who are there to kind of be hecklers in our services and I, I, I kind of have fun with it, right? One thing we do take seriously here is the Word of God. We will not worry about trying to make it acceptable. It's the truth of God, and we're not going to make it acceptable by, by trying to downplay the cost of repentance or the, the significance of discipleship. Those things are things that we do not get to adjust and adapt simply to make people want it more. We don't do a bait and switch. If you come to Christ, it is a significant cost and a significant commitment to discipleship. But some try to make it more acceptable by downplaying those things or using it to support worldliness. There are uh, plenty of preachers around. Most of them have television programs or most of them are preaching in places they've flown to in their private jets or wherever they are. Not everybody has a television program is this way. Please don't, don't misquote me now. But when you suggest to people that if you love God enough, if you trust God enough, he'll make you healthy, he'll make you wealthy, he'll do all these great things, everything will be really cool, and you'll watch God do these. You will watch God do amazing things, but you may still be unhealthy while you watch. You may not have a lot of money. Having a lot of money isn't an inherent sign of the blessing of God on your life. You could have very little money and have great blessing from God. We tend to tamper with the Word of God when we use it to support our worldly attitude. What instead did Paul do? He said, by open statement of truth. We commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Open statement of truth. And we don't have to be harsh. Open doesn't mean harsh or brutal. Open just means open. We're honest. We're going to tell the truth. That's what we do. So our focus is in preaching the gospel, and we pay attention first to the ministry that God has given us. But as we preach the gospel, we're going to find that some people simply will not get it. They will not believe. They seem to refuse so much. What is the hindrance? That's the next thing there. What is the hindrance that we face in preaching the gospel. Verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Last week, Wilson talked about the, the veil that is over the hearts of people. He talked about how there is this sense uh, when back in the Old Testament, Moses would commune with God and he would come out of the tent of meeting and he would have to cover his face because there was this reflection. Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. He keeps them from seeing the light of the gospel. So we don't play these games because games will not remove the veil. What removes the veil? The person of the gospel. Jesus is who we preach. What do we proclaim? 
Verse 5, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's what we proclaim. Paul didn't preach some, some book or manual. He didn't preach a set of rules. He didn't pre preach a list of regulations. He didn't, he didn't preach a set of teachings. He sought, he sought to preach Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2.2, he said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Here's what I like about that. That gives me hope as an evangelist. That gives me hope as somebody who wants to talk to other people about Jesus. Because in the final outcome, you don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to have been around forever. What you need to do is point people to Jesus. You tell them your story. You point them to Jesus. You make him the hero of your story. And that's what we preach. Some years ago, when uh, one of my kids was in college, they uh, were part of a class that was talking about how to, how to uh, connect with culture and get a sense of where people are. And part of the experience, they took a weekend, two or three days, and they did their best to, in a safe manner, let this group of kids live homeless. They were there was part of a church in downtown in the city where they were, and there was fencing outside, so they were protected, but they left them outside. And it rained, and they didn't let them back in. And they treated them like many people treat homeless people, and they didn't feed them for a weekend. College students, they didn't feed them for a weekend. They had to go find their own food. And as she described to me the experience, she said one of the group found a dumpster outside a Panera Bread. And they grabbed bags of bread out of the dumpster and went and found everybody else, and everybody was having a party eating discarded bread. I know, that's gross. There are people who live that way, right? What were they doing? One beggar found bread, and they were showing another beggar where to find the bread. That's what evangelism is, right? I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve what God has given to me in Christ, but I found the bread of life, and I'm going to tell other people where to find the bread of life. That's what evangelism is. It's core, right? I find hope in this verse. We proclaim Jesus. That's what we seek to do. That's our focus. Why? For God said, verse 6, let light shine out of darkness. For God, who said that, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The one who created everything, the one who said, let there be light, has shown the light of the gospel in my heart. The one who created everything created new life in me, and because... People can only know God through Jesus. That's why we do that. So we have a certain focus as we preach the gospel. Secondly, there's a certain amount of humility as we live out the gospel. This is a very familiar verse coming up here. So let's not flip the light switch off because we've heard this before if you've been around the family for a while. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. 
This treasure, what treasure? The, well, the one we just talked about. The treasure of Jesus, the light that God has shown into our hearts. That treasure, we have it in jars of clay. It's the gospel message that the eternal God came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, died on the cross, rose again to provide forgiveness of sin and eternal life for everyone who will repent of their sin and believe in the gospel. That's the treasure that we have. And we have it in jars of clay. We carry a treasure, but we are just containers. Has anybody noticed the posies as you walk in, the plants as you walk in the doors, both doors, there are flowers and plants out there. Did anybody notice the pots? I hope not. They were like, I don't know, 10, 15 bucks each at Sam's Club. The pots are nothing. What's important is what's in the pots. They're supposed to be pretty. They're supposed to brighten your day as you walk up to the building and not make it look so bland. I know half of you are like, they had flowers? <laughs> but I watered them this morning, so I know they're there. What's important is not the container. What's important is the treasure, and we are just containers. That ought to give you a little sense of relief. That ought to give you a little sense of freedom. John MacArthur says this, Like all believers, Paul's imperfections stood out in stark relief against the shining glory of the gospel. If God could not use imperfect people, there would be no one in the ministry. Since there are no sinless people, God must choose his ministers from the fallen, weak, imperfect human race. Abraham lied about his wife. Moses had a fiery temper and was not a very good speaker. David was guilty of adultery and murder. And you can go on and on through the Old Testament, seeing person after person who were personal failures but used by God in significant ways. Paul emphasizes that he's merely another in a long line of clay pots that God successfully used. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I love these verses. I think I have them on there. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Here's what I want you to listen to for a second. If you feel like you're too broken, cracked, weak, or otherwise somehow unfit to be used of God to reach people with the gospel, get in line. Those are the people God uses most effectively and most often. Why? Because when he uses broken pots, when he uses cracked pottery to carry this incredible treasure of the light of the gospel of Jesus, he gets more glory. Because people say to themselves, are you kidding me? How does he get to preach? How do people respond to that kind of preaching? How do people respond to him when he's talking to them about the gospel? What makes him so special that people are listening to that person about the gospel? What has she ever done? Nothing. 
That's the point. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Look what I did for God. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The reason we don't tamper with the word of God so as to make it more acceptable or somehow in, in some manner or another more relatable for people, the reason we don't tamper with it is because it doesn't need tampered with. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said to the Roman Christians, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. I am really, really grateful that we have a treasure in our cracked, broken container and that God intends to use us. God's glory is the main reason for that. He uses people like us so everyone else can see just how powerful God is. Drop down to verse 13 for a second. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak. He's quoting from the Old Testament. And he's saying this, how is it possible for me to believe this gospel and not want to tell somebody about it? How is it possible that I would believe the truth about who Jesus is and have the light of the gospel in my heart and not want to tell someone else about it? Verse 15, it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The more people who experience the grace of God, the more thanksgiving there will be, and the more glory God will get. It's all about God's glory. So he takes broken vessels, he takes cracked pots, he takes, takes people who are imperfect and uses them to carry the treasure of the light of the gospel to the rest of the world. That's why we need to keep track of our humility as we live out the gospel. Not only is it okay if you're a cracked pot, it's preferable. God gets greater glory from cracked pots. Not crack pots, <laughs> cracked pots. <laughs> yeah, let's not even get onto that rabbit trail. Now a little perspective related to the gospel, starting in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's reverse strengthening. <laughs> our outer self is wearing out. It's decaying, both from the process of aging and in Paul's case, and maybe in some of your cases, because of dedication and diligence in serving the Lord Paul described his, the arduous life he lived. We'll come back to that in a minute. Let me, let me save that. But he, he talked about how difficult his life was as a servant of Christ. It would have been a lot easier to say, you know what, I've already planted churches in this town and that town and the other town and the other town. I'll let somebody else do the rest of this. His outer man was decaying. He was literally wearing out, but his inner man was being renewed. Ephesians chapter 3. Now I'll start in verse 
14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. His inner man was being renewed. He prayed that for the Ephesian Christians. He prayed that for the Corinthian Christians, that they would understand. Because there's an important paradox that we need to remember. When I am weak, then I am strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll come to it in a few weeks. When I am weak, then I'm strong. The sooner I embrace my weakness, the sooner I will be more effectively used for the glory of God. Then he talks about a thing... Uh, I'll call it comparative value. We have this reverse strengthening here. That's an important perspective. Our, we're wearing out, and we get that. That's just part of life, right? Eventually, we're all going to wear out, and the older we get, the more worn out we feel. And it, it's just part of the frustration of growing old, but it's growing old, right? Better than the other alternative. So we're grateful to be alive and be able to still serve God. But there is an issue of comparative value that helps us not to lose heart, too. Here's what I love as I read about Paul. Verse 17. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Light and momentary affliction. Paul's not downplaying the tough things that happen. Paul's not saying, oh, get over it. Your life isn't all that bad. That's not where Paul's coming from. Here's this, Paul's very honest elsewhere about what his life has been like. Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With, with the following things. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." But these light and momentary afflictions prepare for us a weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. He's not minimizing the reality of difficulties. He's maximizing how incredibly glorious heaven is. 
He's maximizing the weight of glory. That concept of weight in the New Testament was because that's how you determined the value of something. You wanted to get a certain amount of something. It depended on how weighty it was. One of the words in the Old Testament for God's glory is a word for being heavy, weighty. The comparative value is simply this. What's coming is far more valuable than what's happening. No matter what it is that's happening, the value of what's coming is way better. It's worth it. And then he ends with an eternal focus. As we look not to the things that are seen, let me back up to 17, beginning of the sentence, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How did Paul keep from losing heart? He kept from losing heart by, by keeping his focus on what was most important. He had an eternal focus. What's temporary? The world's values, the world's standards, the world's achievements, the things that the world says, man, that's really good. Like my nice house or my nice car or whatever it is that I happen to have in the way of possessions. Those things are all transient. They're all passing, right? They're all wearing down, just like you are. You keep your house long enough, you're going to have to fix the roof, right? Because things wear out. And a few other things in the meantime. Because all of that stuff is passing. It's transient. The things that we see are temporary. But we keep our focus on the things that are eternal. Like what? What's eternal? God is eternal. His word is eternal. Forever the word of the Lord stands, the scriptures tell us. It's just desperately important. Heaven's eternal. The souls of people are eternal. Paul kept his focus on those things, and it helped keep him from losing heart. So here are your thoughts to take with you today. One question, and i got a couple of thoughts, mostly to summarize. How do we endure in the Christian life? How do we keep from losing heart? We do it by focusing on the gospel of Christ. That's the most important thing. That's, that's what we call keeping the main thing the main thing. Is there anything else that has any importance? Sure. But there's nothing that has as much or certainly not more importance than the gospel of Christ. Secondly, how do we endure in the Christian life? By humbly embracing our weakness. I suspect if there's something that American culture has made most difficult about the Christian life, it may be that. The idea that we're to embrace weakness. We don't want to admit weakness. We don't want to admit that something's wrong. We don't want to admit that we're insufficient to the task. You write a resume, nobody says, ah, in myself, I'm really not very good at this. I probably wouldn't do a very good job if it wasn't for Jesus. I wonder how many people would get a job based on that. Because <laughs> we don't want to admit it. We're not even allowed to admit it half the time. 
I'm, I'm glad for a church like Coastal where we can show up at church and admit we're weak because too many people show up at church and have to put on a face that says, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. My marriage is falling apart and my kids are a mess, but hey, I'm good. We don't have to be that way. Can I, can I harp once more on the value of a small group for that? So we can be honest with each other. I mean, you don't need to show up at church on Sunday morning and stand up and say, hey, listen, I'm a mess. We just, uh, in case you wonder, I just assume you all are a mess because I am. So, you know, there's no point in us hiding from each other, right? And we get in a small group where we can be honest with each other. The sooner we recognize that we are completely dependent on God to effectively carry the treasure of the gospel, the sooner our effectiveness will grow. And then thirdly, how do we endure in the Christian life by keeping the temporary and the eternal in proper perspective? God has given us the incredible opportunity to be carriers of a gospel that is so heavy, so weighty, so, so powerful that it will change people not only for the next few years or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or however long they're a believer, but for all of eternity. We get to carry that gospel in our cracked clay pots, our broken vessels. What an incredible honor it is for us to do that. We don't lose heart because God is accomplishing something through us that only God could do, right? Listen, our worship team is going to come back here in just a moment. And I want to tell you, listen, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, you don't know when I talk about uh, the gospel, you're not even sure you know what I'm talking about. I want, to, I want to make it clear for a second while they're coming up here. The gospel is simply this. Everybody, every single one of us sitting in this room, everybody in this area in the county up here are sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We do not measure up to the weight of how amazing he is. We're imperfect. Because of that, we can't go to heaven because it separates us from God. And the wages of sin, which is what makes us imperfect, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. God sent Jesus here to this earth. He died. On, he lived a life I could never have lived, perfectly righteous. He died on the cross, dying a death I deserved, was buried, and came back to life again on the third day, conquering death and sin. Now all that is left is I come to God, I respond in faith to the message of the gospel that I believe I can't get to heaven on my own. Jesus, would you please forgive me of my sin make me right with God, and God will do that in that instant. And if that's never taken place with you, man, I'd love to talk with you after the service before the next one. we got time, uh, and I've got people here that'll sit down and, and talk with you and show you how you can know for sure you are a child of God by faith in Christ. Uh, but listen, as we leave here today, I hope you leave encouraged. I hope you leave embracing your weakness, knowing that's how God uses you best when you let him shine through even in your weakness. Father, thanks for the encouragement of the scriptures. Sometimes, Lord, it's, it's really important for us to recognize that we can't do this on our own. Lord, we are dependent on you, totally dependent on you. We confess that to you this morning and acknowledge uh, our desire to be used of you 
maybe in large part because we're weak, because you can work your power through us when we acknowledge that. Thank you for your grace and the privilege of sharing Jesus with the people around us. Help us to be faithful at that this week. 